A group of computer scientists from Germany have discovered a very scary attack called Alpaca. It stands for Application Layer Protocol Confusion. And it is based on the idea that TLS, our beautiful encryption backbone of the whole internet, is built on literally any transport. It's almost detached from the transport layer that is underneath it. So those guys, what they did is like, okay, we're going to redirect your TLS session to some other server. And while this on the outside doesn't look really scary, it is actually very scary. Specifically, if you have those uh, scary thing that is called wildcard certificate that you can just put on your server and if, as long as you have that same top-level domain, you're secure. Wink, wink. How about we jump into it and discuss? Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. And TLS, guys, I need to talk about TLS a little bit. TLS, which stands for Transport Layer Security, is what encrypts the communication between any two servers these days. Most servers support TLS. Whenever you see this padlock with HTTPS in it, you're using, you're using TLS, essentially, between the client, you, the browser, and the server. The server is a TLS server, and it understands how to communicate between these two. And TLS have been built so it is so difficult to break uh, that is, you cannot just insert yourself in the middle and terminate easily uh, a TLS session and decrypt the traffic. It's, it's very, 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 very difficult. Not impossible. It has, it did happen before. Wink, wink, DigiNotor certificates. You see, you remember all that stuff? Yes. But it is, it is really hard to achieve a fully decryption TLS and man in the middle uh, because of this certificate, of the beauty of certificate and the certificate authorities and, 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 and this model of authentication that the server essentially have to present a unique stamp certificate signed by some other third party which is in turn signed by another third party which is in turn signed by another third party which is in turn signed, okay, signed by a root certificate that is trusted everywhere, right? So it's very, very hard to break this thing. Can it happen? Yes. But 
really very, very hard. So if I give you a certificate, you can easily, quickly authenticate that is actually me. It is, you're talking to Google. Here's a proof that you're actually talking to Google. So if someone intercepted this session, they have to serve you that certificate, right? Which they don't have. They don't have the private, beautiful key of the server that matches a public key that is actually signed in the certificate by another private key belonging to a certificate authority that you don't have. So verification is easy, but breaking this thing is so hard. If you figure out, if anyone out there figured out how to break uh, public key encryption, <laughs> the whole world basically will collapse. Bitcoin will just drop to zero, literally, right? But nobody did. You cannot break public key encryption, especially when you have a large bit, bit size, right? But, 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 but. So it's very hard, very hard to break this thing. But those guys, those Germans, man, the Germans said no. We will not stand for this. The German says, nine. We're going to fix it. <laughs> we're not fix it. By fix it, we mean we're going to break it. The German said, hmm, what if, what if, what if I don't, I, I look at the traffic, but instead of actually changing it and pretending to be the server i'm not gonna pretend to be the server i'm gonna sit in the middle right i'm gonna look at your initiation of this encryption but i can't reply i cannot terminate it because i need the certificate to prove that i am the server which i don't have but what if i actually just nudge the tls hello says eh tls hello just go that side don't go there just eh, just go there go there instead you can do that. You can just change the destination IP address. It's not as easy, but you can change where the packet is going. And if you go to another server, you might say, Hussein, if you go to another server, that server has to present that certificate, right? Well, yes and no. If that server receives that TLS hello, the server says, okay, you want to you wanna talk to me? You want to talk to me? And the server says, okay, here's, here's my rest of server hello. Complete the handshake. And by the way, here's my certificate. But what if that server you directed the hello to has actually the same certificate? You might say, you cannot have this. Domains are unique. You cannot have the same domain. But what if it's wildcard certificate? What if your server is actually called bank.com? Right. And the other server is called ftp.bank.com. Haha. <laughs> and you don't want to create a bank.com certificate and you want to create an ftp.bank.com certificate. So you created a wildcard certificate called star.bank.com that you just slam it to any server really and it has a single private key. And essentially, it works everywhere. So if you can do this redirection successfully as an attacker, you just nudge the TLS hello to go some, to, the, to, um, to another server. And that server completes the handshake with you instead. You, you don't really care to look at the content. You have some sort of control over this. And here is where most 
of the attacks actually happen. Now we need to go to the actual paper. I'm going to reference it below if you want to read it. There's a beautiful diagram, very confusing to look at if you're just looking at this. As, what am I looking at? This diagram is very confusing. But we're going to try to uh, translate and, and uh, kind of... You know, because it's written in German as effectively. I didn't understand anything from the diagram. But if you look, you keep looking and understanding, you can eventually understand. Obviously, that's just me. Some people will look at it who saying you're an idiot. This is clear as uh, a glass. I don't know what that means. Let's jump into this and discuss. All right. For people listening on the podcast, what we're looking at right now is we're looking at two servers. The server is called www.bank.com. It's an HTTPS server, 443. And the other server is ftp.bank.com. Listening on port 990 for some reason. And those two servers share the, uh, an identical certificate. And this is the wildcard certificate, star.bank.com. Because it's very convenient. Slam the certificate everywhere, and you don't have to worry. Right? You just... Have TLS almost for free. You don't have to initiate a certificate for every single server. Very convenient for management. This is this uh, TLS management. But we're gonna see that this is actually dangerous a little bit, right? So th these are the two servers. The attack starts by directing the user to the attacker website. You have to click on a on a link. Once you click on that link, and this link is called attacker.com that's your origin there is a beautiful html page in that uh in that attacker's uh website and that html page does a javascript call it does a post request so you know now the origin is attacker.com that's where we are Okay, that's the browser thinks we well, not thinks actually knows the browser knows that you are an attacker.com. And the script in attacker.com is making a post request to bank.com. It's just making a normal post request. And this is referred to as a cross site request, right? Or cross origin request. Now, let's also assume that the victim here is already authenticated with bank.com. I don't know. This is Bank of America. They logged in to Bank of America. So they have a beautiful cookie with Bank of America. So if you go to bank, you literally type bank.com and you hit enter, the browser will send that cookie to bank.com and it will identify you. It knows that, hello, Mark. Let's say someone sent you a link on Twitter. Or on the email. And that link points to uh, the attacker website. It's just an HTML website. It looks benign. Right? It's very, very simple. It's an HTML page. So you click on that link that goes to attacker.com. Has nothing to do with your bank. You're just going to another website. That website, you do a get request, you get back an index.html. You get an HTML page. And in that HTML page, the attacker has a script that makes a post request to bank.com. Aha. Uh -huh. 
So far, that's also fine. Okay, the attacker want to ping my bank. For the longest time, this thing is scary, right? Before same site cookie attribute, this was very scary, and even way before course cross site uh, cross origin resource sharing. These things are scary. These to me, they they are no longer scary. Yeah, you can make all the requests you want. You are unauthenticated. But for the sake of this scenario, which they barely mention these things, by the way, in the paper. I wish they did, but they have like one column where they mention same side actually. They should have mentioned this at the beginning. This cannot happen anymore. You cannot do this attack anymore. You cannot just click on an attacker and then all of a sudden the 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 cookie will be sent. No, we no no browser sends the cookie anymore except Internet Explorer. And who's using Internet Explorer really? All right. So now you click on the attacker's link. There is a post request that goes to bank.com. Since the browser says, okay, you're going to bank.com, I do have a cookie for bank.com. Should I send it? Most browsers won't because same site, if the same site cookie is set, is not set, it's going to set to lax. As a, as a result, lax won't send any cookies, right? Because it's like, hey, this is a third party cookie. Nope. I'm sorry. We don't say that. Unless the bank explicitly set the same site property to none, the attacker website in this case will actually send the cookie. And now all of a sudden, we made a request which has the secret, right? But before we do all of that, what really happens here? We're about to make a post request to bank.com. But what happened before making a post request to bank.com? We need to do a DNS, right? Okay, what is the IP address of, of the bank.com? We get back an IP address and then we establish a TCP connection. The victim establishes a TCP connection with the bank in this case. But here's where really, really happens. The, the first request that goes to establish the sense and act, act goes and the attacker is listening in the middle. Okay. Someone is trying to go to bank.com. I know the IP address of bank.com. The attacker is sitting right here. And the attacker will says, no, that's mine. The attacker will complete the TCP connection between, between the victim and itself, spoofing the IP address of the bank. Hey guys, Hussein from editing. Another way, instead of spoofing the IP address and doing all this mumbo jumbo, the attacker, if they, if the attacker can actually intercept the DNS request for bank.com and present their own IP address, that is more likely uh, of an attack to happen because this way, the client, the victim in this case, they're gonna talk to the attacker directly. Is going to establish the TCP connection with the attacker directly, and then the attacker have full control over this. That's actually the script that they shared. Uh, they're using man in the middle proxy for this, so that's actually more likely than actually uh, doing a spoofing attack and stuff like that. Back to the video. If you reply back, right, and you establish a connection between this and spoofing the IP address, then the uh, the the victim thinks it's connected to bank.com, but it's not really. Still, that's not enough. 
the attacker is not that's not enough for the attacker to actually understand everything so now the next thing that happens here is after the tcp connection is what is the tls handshake so now the victim here again and the victim is executing this on behalf of the attacker because that he visited or she visited the attacker.com website which has an html now the html has javascript running in the victim's machine that's what's happening here and now that we do the tls a beautiful tls where i'm going i'm still going to the server as far as this victim node is still talking to the ip address of the bank and now the tls hello goes the man in the middle looks at tls is okay i know this is a tls hello but i cannot really reply to it because if the man in the middle tries to reply what will happen it will have to present the certificate which the attacker doesn't have but look at what look how genius this is the attacker will just stop synchronously stop that tls hello says wait a second i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a response just wait just wait a second just wait a second victim just wait the attacker then just redirect right it already have established a tcp connection between itself and ftp.bank.com and that's that's fine right because the attacker let's say ha has access to the ftp.bank.com and just yeah it's just a normal ip address hey i'm just connected to you let me in right so now there is a tcp connection between the attacker and the ftp.bank.com and now if you what what the attacker does is like just forwards that tls client hello from the victim which is destined to bank.com remember they forward it to ftp.bank.com if your ftp and you might say hussein ftps since when ftp support tls well ftps does so if this server supports ftps which is built on top of tls not to be confused by sftp that's a different one i think ftps is the tls one i was confused the two then the bank will say oh someone wanted to, to do the tls hello with me sure i'm gonna respond back with a server hello and this is gonna work why because i am gonna give you a wildcard certificate start the bank now you the attacker gets the server hello which is happening from ftp.bank.com and the server hello does, doesn't really have any server name in it doesn't doesn't that the, the TLS itself doesn't have anything to do with the name of the server. It's just have uh, the Diffie-Hellman parameters and the certificate, which which is also not the actual name of the server. It's a wildcard certificate. So now the server, the attacker just gets that beautiful certificate and then reply back to the victim. It says, hey, here's your server hello. Now it unblocks it and then replies back with the server hello the victim is clueless the victim still thinks that it's talking to bank.com but it's not it's talking to ftp.com through man in the middle what is going on here what is going on what are you starting to do hussein well we're going to continue now <laughs> now we have an encryption channel that is established between the victim by the help of the attacker 
2ftp.bank.com. Mind you, mind you that the man in the middle really cannot see anything here. It's a fully encrypted channel. Yes, they cannot read the text in the channel itself. They cannot see anything. It's all encrypted. It's an end-to-end encrypted between this guy and the ftp.bank.com. So the attackers, like we said, this is useless. The attackers still can't read anything, but no, wait. There is something happening. The attacker has control at the victim side here because remember, you click, you clicked on a shady link. Now I can execute all the JavaScript I want. This, so the first request, the post request, which, which is the original thing we wanted to talk about. Now the post request comes. Now I want to send an, and has to, by the way, this whole thing has to be HTTP 1.1. HTTP 2 doesn't work with any of this stuff because you need ALPN, which kind of breaks everything as I'm going to talk about. This has to be HTTP 1.1. So there's so many requirements for this to work. So that's why I say very unlikely this attack can happen in the wild. Has to be HTTP 1.1 for this to succeed, in my opinion. Now, the post request happens. Again, you're going to bank.com, right? And less for the sake of example, let's say that the cross-site request actually sent that secret delicious cookie of bank.com. Again, the, the victim thinks of talking to bank.com, so it's going to send the, 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 the cookie of bank.com, which is what the attacker wants. But the attacker cannot just read it because it's encrypted, right? So now the attacker have flow of what's going on here. So here's what the attacker does. The attacker will write a script, and that script is not here. Let's actually go to the script. Where's the upload script? I have all, all of this stuff going to be... By the way, they did a good job, right? Giving scripts and all that stuff. This is the script that the attacker executes next to send that post request, right? I want to send a post request to the bank. And what it does, it just sends actual FTP commands through HTTP request. What? Yes. This attack also assumes that the attacker somehow have access to the FTP. How unlikely this whole thing is, to be honest now. Okay, that the attacker has access to my bank, to my FTP bank. What? Well, you might say this is an insider in the bank. They want to carry this attack. They want to... It doesn't make any sense to me, to be honest. It's like this... There's so many variables that is very highly unlikely to happen in the real world for this attack to be successful. But could it be successful? Of course, there is a tiny, beanie chance. But we are here to, to appreciate the tech, to appreciate the German uh, machines. Right. By the way, I'm, I'm a big fan of Germany, the soccer team, so I love you guys. We're going to send user Bob. That's the attacker's name, by the way. Bob. And then password, one, two, three, four. Type I. I think this is binary. Passive. Very important. We have to be in passive mode because we don't want to deal with FTP in active mode. No, 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 sir. We don't want to do like two, two ports. Yikesy. This will never work in, in, in active mode, right? has to be passive that means a single port uh, downloads and uploads through this channel okay and then 
we're gonna store a file name that is called leak. Anything that comes after that store leak, right, will be stored in the file. So this, remember guys, this is the actual body. This is the body of the request. These post requests, all this form data goes into the body. And what comes before the body? The headers, right? So all of this HTTP 1.1, the headers, the cookies, the, the content type, all of that stuff comes before these commands never executed. So the FTP will start getting these requests that says, okay, content type dash dash the JSON application, text application for WW form, whatever. And it says, what the heck is this? The FTP will say, what the heck is this? It's going to fail, fail. Even the cookie will get delivered to the FTP server, right? Because it, it decrypts the stuff, right? The, the, the FTP, the FTP will, will receive that cookie and it says, what the heck is this? It's going to say invalid command, invalid command, invalid command. Up until we reach the body where we can say user Bob. Oh, I know that stuff. User Bob. Okay. Then password, then type I, then, 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 this will then put the FTP server in upload mode for that particular session. Now, anything that comes after it will be stored in this file that is called leak, which is literally nothing. Nothing comes after that. That's it. So what I am so confused about, how did we really upload the cookie here? Because the cookie came at before the body. The cookie is in the headers. They never mentioned this in the paper. I never seen this. I read the whole paper, didn't see that. Okay, maybe I have missed it. So the only thing that actually this can happen if, if that request is replied again. You have to refresh the page, right? Or re-execute the script again for the headers to come first again, right? Because now you put the FTP server on that upload mode and now you have to resend the same request so that we can store the headers and every, pretty much everything else in the, that file. That's All right, guys. There's something that I forgot to mention here. The, the <laughs> This timeout is actually the key for this to work even if same site property is not set. And uh, this is a little bit of an egg on my face. I discovered this <laughs> during editing. Let's. It's so funny. I read this paper three times. And when I actually sat down and record, I started discovering stuff. Here's how why this is so dangerous. Now, as I said, when we put the server in FTP mode, Right, the the headers might or might not have contained the cookie because it was a, a cross-site uh, script, right? It's a cross-site request. But we successfully put that FTP server in upload mode, and we have a beautiful TCP connection. Look what happens here. After five seconds, we are redirecting to target.com, which is the bank.com in this case. We're redirecting the browser from the attacker all the way to the bank itself now technically i am now going to bank.com as a first as a first origin as an origin request 
So even if the, if the cookies weren't sent in the original cross-site request, they will absolutely be sent in this situation. As long as they are laxed, strict will never work here because you're, you're navigating. If, you, same, if your cookies are in same site strict, right? And then you, you have a script that redirects to, to a bank.com, uh, the browser won't send the cookie if, in the strict mode. It's, it will only be sent when you go physically to the bank.com in the browser and you hit enter. That's the only time these cookies will be sent. But most configurations, same site, same site cookies are lax. So this will actually redirect you to bank.com. And after five seconds, you will go to bank.com and you will send the cookie. But the browser will say, wait a second. I'm going to bank.com, but I already established the connection with bank.com, remember, with the cross-site request. So the browser reusability of the connections is the double-edged sword here. If the browser decides to use the same TCP connection that established, which most of the time, let's be honest, is going to use it, then you just sent that precious cookie because now it's, it becomes a for, first uh, first party cookie is going to always get sent unless it's strict obviously and that is dangerous baby very dangerous oh my god i have no idea how i missed that so now this is this is really dangerous so how do we fix this Chrome and the browser community. Hopefully, to me, uh, the fixes do not share connections. If the if there is a website, right, that uh, that may, if there is a website attacker.com in this case making a cross-site request to another website bank.com, so there is a TCP connection established in the browser, and you redirected to the same, that, that website redirects it to that original, that, that cross-site website. Now we have redirection. The, the fix here is the browser should not reuse that connection because that connection is shady. Create a new TCP connection for that puppy to avoid that. I think, I think that would be a nice fix if the browsers, if Chrome, Firefox, people about browser community, if you're listening to this, that will be a nice fix to this, right? Redirection, use the new connection. Otherwise, uh, this becomes very scary attack. All right, back to the video. All right, so that's the upload attack, option number one. Uploading the cookie secret into the FTP by essentially tricking the TLS session. You've seen what happened though, right? There is so much ugh, moving parts, right? The, the, the trick to redirect the TLS is very, very scary here. Let's talk about the download attack, which is, to me, that one is really scary. Again, this requires the attacker to have previous access to FTP, bank.com and they will upload an html file or a javascript file okay that has a script 
that we need to execute. Okay. And let's say this is going to transfer a million dollars from your beautiful account to the attacker's account. Obviously, this is not just going to happen because there's GAPTCHA and stuff like that. It's, it can't be automated, a transfer like that. But you can steal the cookie here. They, they have some sort of a script to read the cookie or, or to send the cookie to somewhere else. And they upload it to the FTP.com. Using the same technique, and instead of uploading, they force the client to actually download that file and execute it. Now, this is very scary because this is a different territory. We're doing the same thing. We're doing a, a post request. Sure, we're not. let's say we're not going to even send the cookie this time. But we have established this TLS confusion in the back end, right? The attacker in this case is going to start sending uh, our FTP commands to download an existing file. And by doing that, the client the victim is going to download this shady html file or shady javascript file or shady script into its session but this is very dangerous when you actually download that script and that ex script actually executes in that session as bank.com the browser will think that you're executing this script within the context of communication between bank.com and as a result it's going to execute the script as a first party uh, originator and that is where it's dangerous if the browser will think hey you're just talking to bank.com so i'm going to treat you as if you are you are literally in bank.com. So it's going to send the cookies. It's going to allow you to talk to the bank normally. It's not going to treat it as a cross-site request. And as a result, bad things can happen. The, the third attack is the reflection attack. Also dangerous, in my opinion. And by sending an FTP command that is called open bracket script alert hello world close script this is the command right you send this actual command to 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 the ftp server the server says unknown command script script reflect script close hello world they're gonna reply back to the victim and the victim some dumb browsers will look at the content and this is called mime sniffing i talked about it in one of my videos mime sniffing attack which is also preventable by adding a server side header right that's called i think xs snow sniff something like that i forgot what it's called but here's what sniffing really means when you for the longest time browsers sometimes try to be too clever by half which means not so clever. And they they receive content, right, from a server. The server usually, the client re relies on a property called content type on the server response to tell it what really this thing is. Are you sending me an image? Are you sending me a binary? Are you sending me uh, a PDF? An HTML file? What is this really? 
But for the longest time, some servers didn't really, uh, let's say, well, we're not smart enough to actually send this reply. And as a result, the application will break. And as a result, because we don't want applications to break, we don't want the Internet Explorer 5.0 to break, we decided to sniff the content and actually determine what the content is and infer the content type from the content by actually sniffing it. All sorts of amazing attacks happens when you sniff. Because when you sniff, you try to be smart, but you try when you... uh, When this is an image, it's not really a big deal. But when it's a script, you sniff it and say, aha, I think it's a script. Let me execute it. And it's gonna go ahead and execute that script. You don't want it to execute the script. So as a result, this FTP reflect attack is gonna re-execute this thing and 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 uh, do a bad thing. And not on only execute it, it's gonna execute within the context of this session. And as a result, it's gonna execute as a first party request. This is basically the alpaca attack. I know I've been all over the place, guys, but. I suggest you read this uh, paper. It's a good paper. Uh, again, I have some some criticism of my own. Uh, just the just really, if they just did the actual communication, the TCP. How is the TCP connection really happen right here? What is really going on, right? TCP connection wise, I would be very happy. They didn't do that part, unfortunately. Look, if you look at this, you would think, oh, this is just a one to one connection here. Which is mm, not really because if you if you if you don't if the attacker don't actually terminate the TCP connection here, replying spoofing the IP address, none of this stuff will work because the victim will will have a connection between itself and the bank directly, right? And if you all of a sudden change the destination IP address willy nilly, first of all, the the victim will says, wait a second. I did talk to bank.com IP address. Now, all of a sudden, I'm receiving IP packets from ftp.bank.com. Reset, reset is going to do that. So it can never change the source IP address or destination, sorry, destination IP address. It cannot do that because if the attacker did that, the connection will reset. Even if the connection didn't reset, which is impossible, the NAT behind the firewall right here is gonna block all the packets says wait a second whoa you did you did a sin to this ip address but now the sin act is coming from another ip address whoa 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 you didn't you didn't know you did not talk to this ip address block that's called symmetric nat nat symmetric nat which is most of the machines are behind allow you to only connect to IP addresses that you actually talked to before. You cannot just, you cannot receive incoming traffic from an IP address that you never talked to, right? That's for security reasons, right? Some firewalls put you in that mode, symmetric NAT. I mean, hey, if you did connect to something, I'll let you, traffic goes, come through you through that. That's why WebRTC is going through all this Nasty stuff with stun and 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 uh, and turn servers. Why why is it doing all that? Because of the symmetric nets. You cannot just change the IP address, right? That's why I know. That's my only criticism. 
They only say, this is what really threw me off. So, for example, if subdomains share a wildcard certificate, an attacker can redirect traffic. What does that mean? What does that mean, redirect traffic? To me, redirect means, oh, just change the destination IP address and we're going to redirect it to another one. I wish they may, if they made an entire paragraph talking about what is the nature of this direction, everything will be fine. Again, guys, this is all my takes. Obviously, guys, this is just uh, uh, my summary of the paper. Again, it's a great, great, amazing find. But I really think it's almost very hard to, to happen. I don't think we need to worry about any of that stuff. Another thing I forgot to mention is this attack can only happen when you when your TLS has nothing to do with that destination server, doesn't have a clue or hints that tells you which host you're connecting to. Like if you're using SNI, server name indication, which TLS, most TLS clients do, does, I think, right? Then the TLS session will have knowledge about the connection transport. It will have knowledge about the destination. And as a result, the, the destination will block it. And they, and they do mention this in the paper, to be honest. Hey, they mention the SNI. It's like, okay, if, you, if there's an SNI in the mix, then the destination server, the FTP server, will block the connection. says, wait, wait a second, this is not really me. But if you don't have it, then it will work. But, and here's what I, I really loved about the paper. They actually went and uh, went behind SNI and they said, okay, even if you're using SNI, here's where it gets really tricky. If you have the same domain name, but you have your FTP server running on another port, which is, to be honest, that's the most configuration. Most configurations have the same domain, it's just different port, right? The FTP port is like what, 20, 23? I forgot what it's good. So you have the same host. Bank.com, port 443, that's the web server. And bank.com, port 990. So even SNI in this case won't save you because the, the SNI request will come to the server and says, oh, bank.com. Yeah, sure, that's me. Well, it wasn't really you. I was talking to that server, but there is no TLS session, right? Uh, there is no TLS extension that tells you, hey, I'm in this server and also this port. Doesn't exist, right? And if you're going to build one like that, uh, you have to break all the libraries. And that's basically an exact quote from that paper. All of this stuff is just all my opinion. I could be wrong, obviously. And again, kudos for the great uh, German computer scientist uh, behind this paper. Amazing work. Thank you so much, guys. I'm going to see you in the next one. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye.